Homesteads and Homeschools as part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out This Week in Liberpods, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Homesteads and Homeschools. I'm your host, the Liberty Hippie, here with you for another episode, episode number 94, which means you can find the show notes for today's show at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 094. And you will want to check out the show notes today because there are going to be a handful of links in all sorts of places. You can find my guest and check him out because uh, you know you want to, and you might just need to. So keep that in mind. What else to do? I'm going to tell you up front this time. Go over to homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon, click through the affiliate link, buy your junk, and I get a kickback. And that is awesome. You can, what else can you do? You can go leave a review on iTunes because that's always fun. Write something stupid in there, give it five stars and uh, be done. You know, something comical. Tell me to get a haircut. Something. I, I don't know. Anything. What else can I tell you to do? I guess that's it. My guest today, uh, we'll get we'll get into it. I'll quit rambling. My guest today is uh, a guy I've heard him before on a couple of different shows, um, notably uh, Lions of Liberty there with Mark Clary. Did a, did a roundtable with him and uh, yeah, I decided to have him on and kind of talk about some of the things that he does and what it is that he does. Uh, he's lived overseas for quite some time. He's down in Panama now. Um, but talk about how how he works with school, right? How school worked for him and what he's doing with, with his daughter and his future plans. And I, I do, I think you guys will enjoy it. I think he has a lot to say that uh, we didn't necessarily get to. But uh, who knows, maybe maybe you go listen to his podcast, you'll get some of those answers that I didn't didn't get to ask. Um, but I guess that's that's it for now. Let's go plant those liberty seeds with my guest, Mr. Mikkel Thorup. I took off for a weekend last month just to try and recall the whole year. All of the faces and all of the places wandering where they all disappeared. My guest today is uh, Mr. Mikel Thorpe down there in uh, Panama. Um, he's here today. He's gonna, we're going to talk about uh, school, school stuff. So, Mikel, thank you for your, your time. I know you are a busy guy doing all sorts of things, so we appreciate it. My pleasure, Ben. This is, uh, is going to be fun today. I mean, I get interviewed literally like every day, every second day, but I don't get interviewed enough on the education things because I'm really, really passionate about the passionate about this stuff and I enjoy talking about it. So hopefully today, maybe I can inspire your guests a little bit, maybe share some of my experiences and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to today's conversation. 
It is one of those things where you can have like you can have your your ideas on education, and it's just kind of there on the side. And if it's not your your main thing, um, it never doesn't really come up. But it can be something that you're very passionate about. So curious, because um, you're you're overseas now. Um, what was your education like growing up? Did you go to? Were you homeschooled? Were you public schooled? Private school? What, what did that look like for you? So I went through public school, and what happened was I, I'm born in I'm Canadian. I was born in southwestern Ontario, and I remember I was in grade three, and uh, the teachers and the resource teachers and the principal they pulled me out of class, and apparently I had been diagnosed with quote unquote a learning disability. So these these teachers and principals they pulled me outside a class um, in the middle of the day and brought me to a little room and sat me down and they said, Mikkel, Mikkel things don't work quite right in your brain. And <laughs> what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, a special school for special boys. And Ben, that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took the little white bus across town and I went to this special school, quote unquote. Now, the real problem was how it wasn't actually a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So I'm sure you can guess, I mean, kids are mean. Like, as soon as you're a little bit different, something works something a little bit differently. I mean, there's teasing and bullying and you get picked on and I was in fights and I had my nose broken and I was in the hospital, like all these horrible things. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a woe is me story by any means. Like, I gave as good as I got. There's no question <laughs> about that, you know? Like, I'm a libertarian, so like, you know, I'm not going to start a fight, but I'll, I'll certainly, certainly give back. So... I went to this special school for three years, but I hated it. It was a horrendous experience. Literally every day I would come home from school crying, and I didn't want to go back. I just absolutely hated it. But grade seven comes up, and I'm finally allowed to return to my neighborhood school. And I'm going to see all my friends from, from before and, and see all the people that I used to know. And I, I, I was so excited. I thought they would be so excited to see me. But once again, I guess you, I'm going to assume you can guess what happens. I go back and everybody starts like gossiping and whispering. And, oh, what happened to him? I know him. Mm -hmm. He went to some retard school, you know, 1980s, totally politically correct, very sensitive, very calm, <laughs> you know, like gentle children. He went to some retard school. Excellent. Thanks, guys. So once again, what happens? I get into more fights. I get picked on. I get bullied, you know, um, and I just didn't like it. I just decided one day I'm like, I don't like this. This is not how it's supposed to be. So I stopped going and then I started failing and then they sent me to summer school and then I start failing that and I stopped going to that. And then I got into high school and it didn't get any better there. And so I stopped going to that. And so basically at 12 years old, I stopped going to school and at 15, I had officially dropped out and I started traveling internationally, you know, a couple of years later. And here I am, I'm, I'm overseas, I'm a teenager all by myself and I'm meeting these unbelievable people who are so well educated and they've done so many amazing things but they've done it all in like a very different way and that's what i really started to learn is that there's not only one way to learn things like you don't have to go through this rigid set manner of education actually traveling and being exposed to people in different countries and different cultures that is its own form of education you learn something from that so basically, fast forward, I've dedicated my entire life to this. I've spent more than 20 years on the road now. 
I've visited more than a hundred countries. I've lived in eight different countries, and I've circumnavigated the planet more than four hundred times. Now, anybody today who meets me, I would never think that they would they would call me uneducated. Yes, I left school at a very young age.、Um, you know, I certainly didn't go to college. I dropped out of high school, but that doesn't mean that I'm not educated. You know, I'm a voracious reader. I've worked with mentors, with coaching, with mastermind. I read over a hundred books a year, and have done for twenty plus years, because that that desire and that that seed of exploring and curiosity, it was never like beaten out of me as a child, and I think that that's actually my advantage. I think that's like my superpower, and if anything, I'm very proud of myself for at twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old just. Like saying this is not right, this is wrong, and removing myself from the situation peacefully. That's a、uh, quite quite a story there. I'm I'm、uh, when you first got like placed there in, in that other school.、Um, did your parents have much say in that, or was it kind of like the school just said, okay, this is where you're going? Parents, because I'm trying to think, you know, like. I don't know. At that point, like, do you know that you can advocate for your child? Like, could you? Could they? Like, how did that go? Well, I think that there was so much faith, and especially in Canada, with the government and with the teachers and with authority figures, that when they said this is what's best for Mikkel, you know, they just listened. I don't think my parents ever meant to do anything bad or wrong. Like my parents love me. My parents are amazing. There's no question about that. However, I mean, we didn't have the resources to go out there and look and understand these things. This is late '80s, early '90s, so it's like. I don't even know.、Yeah. I don't even know if the internet existed at that point. It certainly, if it did, it certainly was not in in a household、um, that people would have access. And even if that was the case, the generation from my parents are still they're not used to just going and looking things up or finding awesome programs like yours. Like things like this just didn't exist. So they're like, okay, send your kid to here. He has a learning disability. It'll be better for him. Actually, was worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can only imagine, and I think that's that's that was kind of what I expected. You know, is it just at that point, even today,、um, so many people just take it as you know that that's what they say. The school told me to do this, so I have to do that. So this is yeah, they're thinking about the best best interest of my child. When you know, it's it's definitely not not always the case.、Um, you know, it's what's what's better for for them and their their system,、um, and that doesn't always work out in the best interest of the child, but.、Uh, When you dropped out of of school,、um, how was that? Did you guys have to? Did you have to fill out any paperwork? Was that just kind of you just left on your own accord?、Uh, how did how did that go? Well, Ben,、um, <laughs> I w- I was a willful child. Like I'm a willful adult. Like try to t- try to force a 14 year old or 15 year old to do anything. I mean, <laughs> and then. And then try to force me to do something and see how that works. Like my my parents were separated at the time, so my father worked.、Um, you know, my mother lived in another place, and she was still part of my life, absolutely. But I mean, there was no one there to watch me in the mornings. So I had every trick under the book for getting out of class. You know, they would、uh, call and leave a message on the voice machine. Well, I'd go and delete that. Um, I'd I'd pack up my stuff and I'd pretend to go, and then when my father drove away, I would come right back to the house. Or I would show up to school and I would be there for attendance. I'd ask to use the washroom, and then I wouldn't come back to class. Or I mean, like every little sneaky thing you could think of to get out of this situation. That was me. I just I just hated it. Like it was just 
such an uncomfortable, horrendous experience. I didn't understand it at all. I didn't understand why I was being forced to do these things, why I was being taught this stuff. It didn't interest me. I had, I wanted nothing to do with that. I didn't like the other kids. Like, it's just, it was just all around was just a, was not a, a healthy environment. It was not conducive to my learning at all. At all. And I think that's uh, impressive that you can kind of catch that, right? That this is this environment, this thing that I'm in right now is not helping me. It's not helping my education. And it's not, um, not there. Did you, did you enjoy learning at that point in time? Like maybe not in the, that school setting, but kind of on your own, whether it was, I don't know, um, some hobby that you would pick up and, and dig into, or were you just kind of, yeah. Like, I think that always in my life I've had certain things that I'm into and I can be a very obsessive compulsive type of person where when I go into something, I go fully in. Like at that age, I was into martial arts and I ended up being on Team Canada for martial arts. And I used to travel internationally um, as a teenager and compete. Well, you know, that was my passion. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I would study for six hours or eight hours a day. And, you mm -hmm. know, I would be really into those things. For the majority of my life, I was very much into fitness and health and things like that. Um, I love that type of stuff. And when I found traveling, I mean, I just got so obsessed with it and the history and languages and culture and food and community and, and the people. I mean, these types of things are so fascinating for me. If I go for a walk, I'm the one who always wants to like turn the corner. I want to see what's around the corner. Okay, just a little bit further. You know, I just want to see a little bit more. I just love it. You know, like just seeing something new and experiencing something new. Where did you, where did you end up going um, when you went overseas? Is it what was the plan? Was the plan to just kind of wander around someplace? Were you planning on coming back and maybe trying to find, I don't know, some sort of college program or something like that? Or what was your, did you have a, a an idea of what you wanted to do with your yourself at that point when you started going over? So it's interesting. My father had traveled a lot when he was like in his 20s. He had gone backpacking through Europe and he had always told me growing up, this was the greatest thing I ever did with my life. I was like, wow, if it was the greatest thing you ever did with your life, like, why did you only go like once or twice? Like, why didn't you dedicate more of your time? So when I, um, when I was a teenager, I went to, to one of these martial arts competitions. We went to Ireland, England, and Wales to compete. And my father was with me. And that's when I really saw like how amazing this was and kind of understood what he had been talking about all these times. So after that, I came back and, um, just started working. Well, actually, I had already been working, sorry, um, just at neighborhood jobs like grocery stores and stocking shelves and just normal things that, you know, teach you a bit of responsibility as a, as a teenager and started saving my money. And then when I was about 18 or maybe, maybe 18, um, I went back to Europe, but this time by myself. So I went through all of Western Europe, like England, France, Belgium, Holland, Spain, Portugal, and then ran out of money. So I was like, well, I don't want to go home yet, but like I'm getting really low on funds. So I took a ferry over from Spain to Morocco. And then I spent two months backpacking around Morocco. And I went to the Sahara Desert. I got on a camel and went to Algeria, the border, right? The border with Algeria, three days on a camel and then came back. I spent two months there, which was literally like the length of my visa. And seeing people do things in a completely different manner then, you know, then we would ever do it back in Canada. First of all, it's a Muslim country. Add to that, I mean, there's Portuguese and Spanish influence. They're, they're Muslim, but they have 
Arabic influence, and then they have the Berbers. So then you'll have these dark-skinned people with crystal clear blue eyes, and they speak French, and they eat like baguettes every day. Like it's like it's such a mishmash of different things. They have their own cuisine, and I was like, this is unbelievable. I love this. So when I got back to Canada, I went back to my old job, and I think I lasted like two weeks, and I was like, I can't do this. I hate this. <laughs> so.、Um, I had a sister that lived in Calgary, so I took a one-way flight out there, and then moved out to the ski resorts. I stayed with her for a few days, moved to the ski resorts, then spent eighteen months,、um, basically skiing all winter and mountain biking all summer, and just working. Saved up cash and then went down to Latin America and spent eighteen months hitchhiking and backpacking through Latin America. So that was、uh, Mexico, Belize, well, all all southern United States, Mexico, Belize, Guatemala. I was in Guatemala for five months,、um, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, and then took a yacht for seven days and went to Colombia. Spent two months in Colombia and then came back, and that was just just backpacking. Yeah. And then I was in New Zealand for a year and I worked there. Then I was three years in Australia in Melbourne. I traveled out all through those countries, went all over the South Pacific. Lived in Singapore for a year. Then, just for shits and giggles, I moved to the Arctic. I was 366 days in the Arctic, which was a very, very interesting experience.、Um, and then,、um, yeah. And then、It's... I moved to the Middle East, and I was eight years in the Middle East, and. Last year, I moved my family to Panama. That's like twenty years, kind of condensed into about three minutes. But I mean, <laughs>、hey. it's、uh, it's impressive. I I haven't traveled too much. I spent a, a little bit of time over in Korea teaching,、um, yeah. and so you know I can't can't comment the same that you can. But I I will say that being being immersed in someone else's culture, like living in someone else's culture, is just Kind of mind blowing.、Um, you just like you start to realize things and see things that you you wouldn't pick up from a, a book or from something on the television that you watched or whatever.、Um, so it's really kind of an interesting way of of educating yourself. I, I think I don't know.、Um, I'm sure you would recommend travel to to people if that was their oh absolutely their thing. Well, my favorite thing to do is to go sit on a park bench or in a cafe or in a restaurant or something like that, and just like people watch and just watch absolutely normal people do a hundred percent normal things, completely different than I would back home. I mean, that is so fascinating because there's so many preconceptions that people have about different cultures or different、um, races or religions or any of these things. They they. They think like we're good and right, and they're bad and wrong. Well, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it's not true. <laughs> like, all over the world is good people. People are、yeah. all the same, and literally, I don't care if you are tall, short, fat, skinny, gay, straight, black, white, LGBT, straight. I don't. I don't. It doesn't matter to me. People want the same thing. They want a roof over their head. They want a full belly. They want to protect their family. They want to be loved. They want to build something. I mean, people are people are people. I've traveled extensively in Uganda, in Nigeria, and Botswana, all through Africa. They want the same thing. I've been to Iran, to North Korea. I spent two weeks in North Korea. Trust me, the people want <laughs> the exact same thing. You know, these these countries that are supposed to be the axis of evil. No, the government is messed up. Government is messed up everywhere in the world. But the people are good, like inherently good. Does that make sense?
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that we kind of miss out on when you don't really explore um, it, it. These other ideas that are, you know, that like you said, the axis of evil, right? Um, it's not not necessarily the people. Uh, it might be a few people, but for the most part, it's it's the government and those policies that are enacted and, and put into place. And it's you know, um, you look at the the U.S. all over the Middle East and stuff. That's not necessarily like the people. It's not not me and other people. You know, it's it's what government policy is. But um, I don't know. so you you are in Panama. You said you've been there for eight years now. So you said no. So I was eight years in the Middle East. Okay, and then um, about a year and a half, almost two years here in Panama. We made the move uh, last June. Yeah, so about eighteen months, I'd say. So you're you, and I know you said you had a a daughter. Um, so she was born over there in the the Middle East. When you moved um, with her, what 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 kind of prompted that that move, or or why Panama? I guess. So Panama is a couple of reasons. Um, I'm big into the into finance and you know my work with escape artists and with my podcast the expat money show is all about protecting from the downside we work a lot in defense we work with the legal structures and with the accounting and with the investments but we're always looking to to hedge our bets and protect ourselves and just looking at what was happening in the world i could see that we were in store for a really big crash it's just all all signs were pointing in this direction and i took a look around and Although I, I lived in Abu Dhabi, although I loved Abu Dhabi and I thought it was just an amazing, beautiful place, I understood that if there was some type of massive crisis, that was not a great place to be. So first of all, like at that time, the U.S. was really gearing up for war with Iran. And like I said before, I've been to this country, I've met the people, and it's so beautiful there. And I knew that they would use the UAE as a staging ground for invading Iran. And I didn't want to be anywhere near anything like that. I didn't want to be part of anything like that. So we looked at that. And then we thought, okay, in the UAE, it's literally desert. So there's no fresh water. Um, if there's any type of problems, all the water that we have is from desalination. So if they attack the oil refineries or anything like mm -hmm. that, they're not going to be able to produce energy. They're not going to be able to produce fresh drinking water. So I didn't like that. Then they don't grow any of their food. Everything is brought in. Everything is imported. They, they grow a tiny bit, but like next to nothing. Certainly enough, not enough to feed the population. And the other thing is, and I don't know in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, it's about 55 degrees Celsius in the summer, which means you must run your air conditioning. Like mandatory. Like you will die. Mm -hmm. You'll cook. Like it's like an oven. So I, I looked at these things and I was like, ooh, I don't like any of this. So we started searching around and... Um, I work a lot in visas and things like that. And I knew Panama has this amazing program called the Friendly Nations Visa, where for basically $5,000, you can move an entire family here and be legal to work in the country. It's an economic visa, so you have to show some source of income. I have an online business, so that's no problem. It's a tax-free country, which fits perfectly in line with my libertarian values. They have no standing military here, which also, you know, I'm, I'm very anti-war. And... Uh, Tons of fresh drinking water, tons of fresh vegetables. <laughs> like it's like volcanic, like volcanic soil. I mean, you can grow anything here. You can just throw a seed out your window, and tomorrow it'll be a tree. Like it's unbelievable. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's just a nice, peaceful, safe, 
interesting, beautiful country. And I had studied Spanish 20 years previous when I was hitchhiking and backpacking through the region. I'd already been over here once. So I was like, I wanted to get my language. I wanted to bring it up to a higher level. So we looked at all of these types of things and thought, you know, this should be interesting. Did you consider uh, the school system there at all? How does that work? Do, they have a, do you know if they have a public school or do you have to put your kid in private school if you want to go to the so they have public schools here. I don't know anyone who uses them personally. Um, everybody that I know uses the international schools or homeschooling. And okay. I mean, like, I'm, I wouldn't really necessarily call myself a homeschooler in that we don't follow a curriculum. I think the best to describe what we do uh, is world schooling. So I don't know if you've had guests talk about this on your show, but Basically, we travel with our daughter and we expose her to different cultures and different uh, groups of people and we do really interest-based learning. Now, and, and just to put things in context, um, my wife is from mainland China. Um, so we, we met on a flight to Germany. I met, I met her in Germany. Then we got married in Africa and uh, my daughter was born in the Middle East and we're now live in Panama. She's mainland from mainland China. I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. <laughs> so my daughter's four years old. She's already been to 12 countries. She's already plays with kids from all over the world. She speaks two languages, like Chinese and English are both fluent. They're both first languages, mother tongues. And now we're working on Spanish with her. So, I mean, we take her to the park every day. We take her to the pool every day. And she spends time with other kids, all in Spanish. Her best friend is from Russia. So she does a lot in that. She loves these Ukrainian and Russian cartoons. So she watches a lot of like r those types of cartoons all in Russian or, well, usually even the Ukrainian ones are in Russian as well. Um, so she has exposure to that language. My wife does spend, you know, one to two hours with her every morning and they go through flashcards and spaced repetition for uh, understanding um, the Chinese characters because you really do have to work through those things. Um, you can't just assimilate that with like a, like a lot of other things. You can just kind of assimilate. With this, you have to work through. So we do spaced repetition with her. We play games and things like that. And my prerogative is as long as we teach her how to read, write, and spell um, and basic arithmetic, then, I mean, everything else will take care of itself. Like, I think like if she's into dance, then we'll take her to dance classes and she can do that. And if, if tomorrow she wants to learn about history, we'll, we'll plan around that. Like, but it's all based off of her. Um, you know, and, and my dream is always that like, if we are going to teach history, you know, you know, maybe we can make like a little project and we'll be like, okay, let's learn about Italy. So let's learn about the Roman Empire. Then let's use that as a way to teach economics and money. Okay, well, if we're talking about money, then let's use that a way to learn about um, math and subtraction and multiplication, how to actually use math in real life circumstances. Not trigonometry, which she's never going to use in her life unless <laughs> she decides she wants to be an engineer or, you know, an architect or something like that. And then, you know, take it a step further. Like, okay, if she's into this stuff, if she enjoys it, why don't we start cooking Italian food in the house? Why don't we like do the, the history of why did they use these types of ingredients? Where did they come from? Okay, why is it called this? Let's learn the language and all of that type of history. And then, uh, you know, 
daddy's got to speak on stage over there. You know, why don't we spend an extra month in Italy and, and uh, go over and make some friends and hang out. We'll stay in an Airbnb for a month or two months. Like for me, like that's like a cool educational experience. Not just one person standing at the front of the room and talking at you for, for eight hours in a day, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that's, that's key. If you like, we're, we don't, quite do like the unschooling thing. We kind of use more of a curriculum trying to get away from it, been trying to get away from it. But um, I think that's it. If you can give them the tools, right? The basic tools, like you know how to do some, your basic math, you know how to read and and you can write and, you know, they can, you you can take that and and go miles with it. You know, you can explore anything you want as long as you have that. And I think that's, that's one of the things that, you know, uh, a program that's outside of the the public realm um, kind of gives you um, and you guys sounds like are just diving right into that. That's, that's uh, be fascinating. Does she play with, um, I know you said she, she plays with like friends or whatever. Do you, are there, are there any like uh, older kids or like um, co-op type things? Have you seen any, any kids doing that sort of thing in that sort of. Uh... Yes. Yeah, so, I mentioned earlier her best friend. Her best friend just turned eight, and my daughter is four. And they're like two peas, two peas in a pod. I mean, they're inseparable, and we see them every single week. And, and I'm friends with the parents, so you know we'll sit down and have a glass of wine, and the kids will play. And it's amazing because my daughter looks at someone who's older than them and sees how they behave and interacts. So she gets something out of the relationship. And the other girl gets to practice responsibility because we always tell her, I'm like, okay, you have to take care of her. You have to make sure she doesn't do, you know, get herself into trouble. Like, so if we're going for a walk, she'll make sure she holds her hand and crosses the street. Um, we'd go to the beach with them. We've gone out to the islands with them and stuff. She looks after him, looks after her. So, I mean, that's an educational experience for the other girl where she's already at the forefront where she knows she's the responsible one. Now, put that in reverse with traditional education. You get 30, 32 kids, all exactly the same age, and none of them have any idea how to behave. None of them know what they're supposed to do. So they can't teach anything and they can't learn anything. Really, all they learn is like bad habits from other kids. So I don't understand why we've always decided that we need to segregate children based on age because I've never seen in any other example in life where you do this. I have lots of friends who are 20, 30, 40 years older than me. Actually, like on my podcast, my favorite thing is to interview guys who are in like their 70s and 80s and who have so much world experience and life experience. And then I'm like, I get to ask them all these questions. And what do you think about this? And what's your insight on that? I mean, that's really fascinating for me. I would never have my podcast. I am only allowed to have 37-year-olds <laughs> on my podcast. That's it. And next year, 38s. That's it. No, no. Can't change it. Like, it, it, it makes no sense to me at all. I think the only sense it makes is that it's easier to standardize it, right? It's easier to just teach this, this year, this next year. And that way everybody will have this quote comprehensive education and, and you'll pick everything up. And that's like you said, that's, that's not the way life is, you know, and that's not how you learn things, you know, and I think being able to interact with, with children that are different age than you that bring something else to the table, you know, it teaches you that skill as an adult too, to, you know, that, Okay, they're a bunch older than me. Maybe they're, you know, 
they're younger than me. He's 10 years younger than me, but he still has something to say that like I can learn from that, that is there that, you know, there's you, I feel like you develop those relationships better. Um, and you're able to kind of glean more from life itself if you're, you know, more in tuned to, to that sort of thing. But I don't know. We've seen that to um, some degree with, with our kids too, because, you know, the go to a, a homeschool co-op once in a while. And, you know, it is, you have young kids, you have older kids, you have kids that, um, are on the spectrum that they would otherwise not interact with because they'd be locked away in some classroom in the, in the school that, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all those things that you get to learn and just, I don't know, I feel like it makes your, your life, uh, better, more, more rounded. Absolutely. And as to your point about segregation, yeah, it works a certain percentage of the time, but then you get a kid like me and it didn't work. And you try to think force it works. me through that. Like, <laughs> You know, well, I mean, it, it does make it easier for them to just to classify and group everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, these are all the grade fives. These are all the grade sixes. These are grade sevens. I mean, to standardize things. But it doesn't, it doesn't work in the way that it's going to help the child or benefit the child in any respect. And, I mean, what, what is the point of all of this? For me, the point is to, you know, give my daughter the tools to be able to go out there and function, to be happy, to have strong relationships, to communicate, to have fun, to enjoy yourself. I mean, but does school do, to traditional school do any of those types of things? I would argue no. Like, like that's certainly not the most efficient way to do it. There's probably, you know, your, your outliers that it might, but at the same time that for the, for the vast majority, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it, it works for them. Um, so I'm kind of curious when your, when your daughter is like 16, 17, she wants to go out and traipse across the world, just like you did. Uh, (laughs) have you thought about that conversation yet? (laughs) No, I, I try not to think too far forwards. I mean, my hope is that I will always be able to teach my daughter enough personal responsibility that I'll be okay with these types of things. Um, you know, like, there's not much else I can say about it. Like, I just, I, I want to teach her things now. We talk to her like an adult, even when she's four years old. The answer I got as a child was, because I said so. Why is this? Because I said so. No, that, that doesn't do anything for me. Like, my daughter had this, uh, here, here's a funny example. She thought it was funny, I guess, to throw things out the window. Now, we, I have a, a penthouse apartment in downtown Panama. It's, I, I have all of the 15th and all of the 16th floor. And these big floor-to-ceiling windows. And all of a sudden, toys started to go missing. So we, we would ask her, and she'd be like, nope, didn't do it. I didn't throw anything. No, we actually caught her doing it. Like, just literally just getting angry and just chucking stuff out the window. And we're like, you can't do that. She's like, why? So I sit her down. Well, baby, you know, if this came down and it fell and it hit someone in the head, it would really hurt. How would you feel if this came and landed on your head? Would you cry? Would that hurt? Do you want to do that to someone else? Do you want to make someone else cry? You have to think about other human beings and how they might feel. It's dangerous. We try to explain all of the repercussions about what her actions are going to do. Do you know what she says afterwards? Oh, okay. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. It's not just because I said so, because it's the rule, because that's not what you do, because it's against the law, because that's what the teacher said. No, we sit down, we explain it to her like an adult. And you know what? She hasn't done it since. Like, I mean, like a good conversation. And it's okay now. 
Yeah. And, and I think that teaches that, that skill of like thinking things through as well, you know, and, and not just because someone said so, not, not appealing to authority and like, this is why you have to do it or not do it. Like you actually think, and what's, what's the reason? What's the rationale? Okay. Okay. That makes sense. You know, um, empathy, trying to put yourself in other people's situation. How are they going to feel? What are they going through? I mean, this is really important things. This, what do they call it? EQ, how people react to things. How do they, how do they feel? I mean, I don't remember that being taught in school. Do you? Like, and as you know, there's not a, not a whole lot of empathy out there on the playground either. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, all right. Well, I, I appreciate it. I know you've, um, anything else you want to say about, about your, your schooling program or anything we, we missed that you wanted to? Oh, I mean, touch on? I could talk literally all day. I'm pretty, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty outgoing and pretty passionate about all of these things. You know, I have a lot of people who are, are very set in the, traditional education and think what I'm doing is some type of a crime by educating my child myself. Um, I don't understand this. I think it's like completely bogus because even look at history. Mm -hmm. Human beings have been on the planet for what, 50,000 years or something like that? And we've had formal education for like what, 120 years, 150 years? So like you think that uh, Da Vinci, he wasn't educated because he didn't go through? Like yeah. Aristotle, like, I mean, like, like, look at in history how people were taught. They were taught through apprenticeships. They were taught through mentoring. They were taught through discovery and experimentation. They were not taught just one person talking at them at the front of the room. So, I mean, that's kind of like things that I, I'm a big history buff. So I like to look at those types of things. And that's why I say we don't really have like a a set model because I've taken little pieces from many different things doing what I feel is the best. And then you know what, if I'm wrong, we'll modify it. Like I, I'm not rigid at this at all. That's, that's the glory of it all. It's, is it, you, you have that flexibility to change things, even if it's something that's right, but it's not working for your child or with your child, you can change it and add no problems. There's no hard and fast rules with any of these types of things. Um, you know, there are core tenements that I want her to teach. I want to teach her. Personal responsibility being number one is so, so important. Empathy, which we just talked about. Language and communications is extremely important. When you look at all of technology and what is happening in the world with robotics and artificial intelligence and blockchain and automation and all of these different things, internet of things. Um, the one thing that I absolutely know that will still be applicable in the future is communication, being able to interact effectively with other human beings. Why am I going to try to teach my child today for a workforce which is not going to exist in 20 years, which is what tradi traditional education is doing? They're teaching mm -hmm. you for the past. They're not teaching you for what's happening right now or what will be happening in 20 years. So if you focus on those core things, that will never change. I would argue that the things that I've just listed in 500 years will still be important things to humanity. So that's what we try to f focus on, that evergreen stuff. Do you know what yeah, I mean? I do. I do. And, that, and that's um, having that, that ability to, to adapt to what's coming and what's, you know, and you can't see it, you don't know it, but I feel like if you're only taught how to read out of a textbook and figure things out, it's just, you don't have that, 
ability to to change on the fly. You know, you're you're stuck in that one one system. But I don't know. So you got you've got a, a podcast, you've got a book, you've got all sorts of stuff out there. What where can we go to find you? What do you got out there? What's what's all that? So my podcast is called The Expat Money Show. We've done over a hundred episodes now. We've had people like Grant Cardone, Jim Rogers, Doug Casey, lots of really cool, smart people on the show. Uh, usually people who are building their businesses or investing overseas. It's a fun show. It's very conversational. I enjoy doing it. That's at expatmoneyshow.com. Or you can go on any of your fa- favorite fa- uh, favorite podcasting apps, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, things like that. Um, otherwise, check out my work, my writing at escapeartist.com. It is the largest and oldest offshore website in the world. It's from a very libertarian uh, perspective, libertarian with a small L, not large L. I don't know anything about the party. I don't know anything about politics. But once again, it's those things of personal responsibility, anti-war, you know, anti-government interaction or intervention into our lives. Um, and we teach you all those types of things. I have a book, a magazine, newsletters. I mean, just look up my name, Mikhail Thorpe. You'll probably find it. Lots of stuff out there. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of stuff. I'm kind of yes, hyper. <laughs> Indeed, there there are there are many things out there, and I will I will throw some of those links in the the show notes for for folks. Um, I'd encourage them to go go check that all out. To close it out, you guys, I gave you all the rundown at the top of the show, so I won't do it now, other than to remind you that all the links to Mikel's stuff will be in the show notes, books, podcasts, website, etc. Uh, he's definitely a guy worth looking into, checking out, very knowledgeable, very helpful, and a, and a good dude, good dude to boot. So go check it out, and uh, I don't know, carry on your day, enjoy yourselves, be calm, be peaceful. Get out there, sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap sheaves of freedom together.